of heights to the depths of the sea. And so we get to verse 3. It says, Now Samuel had died, and we learned about this from chapter 25. Samuel, this patriarch, now he dies. And all Israel had lamented over him and buried him in Ramah, in his own city. And Saul put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. And uh, remember, Samuel was a, a great leader. He was a great governor, if you will, over not only David, but also Saul. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible-teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. As we begin chapter 28 in verse 3, we learn that Samuel's death is mentioned again to emphasize the spiritual vacuum left by Samuel's departure. To his credit, Saul obeyed the commands to the Mosaic law to cast out those who practiced occultist acts. God commanded that mediums and spiritists should have no place among his people. Saul did this in his earlier days, when he was still influenced by Samuel's leadership. However, now that Samuel was gone and he didn't hear from the Lord, Saul backslides to search out a medium as his fear of the Philistines increases. Now let's join Pastor Rob for today's lesson. First Samuel chapter 28 this evening. And... Uh... Last Thursday evening, we got somewhat into this chapter, but we're going to go back and, and continue. We're going to start from the beginning again, um, just from chapter 28, and we'll get into chapter 29, Lord willing. We're rapidly approaching our ending of the book of First Samuel, looking forward to getting into Second Samuel, where we really just get into the life of David while he's king, and, uh, and so I'm looking forward to that. But let's look at... Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 28 this evening. This, no doubt, is one of those chapters that is um, very difficult, and there's some controversy surrounding it because of the nature of this chapter. And when we get into it, I think you'll understand why. But remember, David now is... He's on the run. He has been on the run for some time. And you recall that in chapter 27, David began to ally himself with the king of Achish, who was the king of Gath, which is the same hometown that Goliath was born. And now he finds himself... Uh, in alliance with a king of a city that David slew their champion. Don't you find that a little odd? (laughs) It is quite odd for David to go. But see, that's what fear does, and that's what I'm hoping we can uh, come away with tonight, a number of things. But one thing is that fear and unbelief brings us into really unusual places. And we're going to see it not only in David's life, but we're going to see it in Saul 
Saul's life as well. Because Saul was really governed by unbelief. And uh, it's kind of ironic, really, to see both of these men whom God had great plans for and had, you know, Saul was the king at that time, and yet David was um, already anointed to be king uh, sometime before the events that we're looking at tonight. But to see this man who slew Goliath, whose faith was really riding high, and now to see him kind of at his lowest point in all of his life. This is probably the worst point in David's life, with the exception of maybe the incident with Bathsheba and Uriah. This is a very long period of time where God was just working out things in David's life. And whenever um, a man or a woman, when God has a great plan for your life, often there is great preparation involved in that. And we know that God had a great plan for David. And obviously so many promises in the Old Testament scriptures are wrapped up in David. Not only in the fact that he is the king of Israel, but also through him, the savior of the world would be born. Through the line of Judah, through the line of King David. And so there were so many things riding on David's life here. And if you think of it, in spite of his fear, there was really no reason for David to fear. Although it's easy for us to sit back and be armchair warriors or armchair quarterbacks and say, well, if I was in that situation, I wouldn't have responded the way David did. But it's easy for us to say because we weren't in that situation. But think about living in a country where everybody is hunting you. And, you know, Saul is hunting you and all of his armies are hunting you because they're subservient to the king. And so, you know, think, put yourself in that condition, in that position, and... Um, it really makes you do some strange things. It can make you do strange things, especially if you're not really walking and believing the Lord. And, and that's a challenge for us today. And so I'm hoping that we come away with that. There's a lot of things we can learn from the life of David and from the life of Saul uh, tonight as we go through this. But let's just get right into chapter 28 because it's a, it's a little bit lengthy of a chapter, and it's uh, quite interesting to say the least. It says, Now it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. And Achish said to David, because remember, David is now one of his close comrades. Uh, unfortunately, this unholy alliance that David has put himself in. So Achish said to David, You assuredly know that you will go out with me to battle, you and your men. And so David said to Achish, Surely you know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, Therefore I will make you one of my chief guardians, or my chief bodyguards, forever. Okay, This Hebrew man, this Jewish man, is going to be the bodyguard of a Philistine king of a city of which David slew their champion. This is really, really odd. Really odd. But fear makes you do some pretty odd things. And so David is in this... Uh, interesting place. And one of the greatest proofs of David's supposed loyalty to Achish is, was by going out with him to battle against David's own people because the Philistines were going to battle against the Jews, the Hebrews. And so now David finds himself in a happily going against his own people. Now, it never happened, which is good news for David. I'm really glad that the Lord intervened in this craziness of David's life But he was willing to go, 
And certainly the king of Achish, the king of Gath, wanted him to go as well. Because if David was able to kill his own countrymen and be victorious, Achish would then know that his claims of loyalty were true and he would have a wonderful ally in David, one who had defected to him from the Jews. And he was a great warrior, so he would be picking up a really wonderful asset to the Philistine army. And so, you know, if we look at, um, you know, verse 2 there, so Achish, you know, David said to Achish, surely you know what your servant can do. And Achish said, therefore I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. And again, just a strange thing to see him being a chief guard over this man. And uh, this, this whole thing would be laughable, again, if it weren't true. We would all be wondering, scratching our heads, and, um, and it's, it really is a tragedy that a man of so full of faith and zeal in God could stoop so low in unbelief. It, it is rather frightening. And to realize that in and of ourselves that can happen to us as well if we're not careful. You know, again, we, we, can, we can get on David's case tonight. We can look at him and, and really have some disdain for what he's doing. But I wonder what we would do. I mean, this is what I like to, when I'm, when I'm reading the Bible, I like, I like to put myself in the shoes of those people. In every character, if you can. When you read a passage that you've read over many times, try putting yourself in the sandals of someone else in that, in that, in that event. Because remember, this is history. This is not just a story. So these things are really real. And you get a different perspective when you, when you start doing that. And you start putting human our human uh, um, frame inside this thing because they were no different than you and I were. We have to remember that. They weren't, you know, lofty and holier than us, okay? They, they were normal people like you and I, and they, they feared the same things. They had the same hang-ups. They had the same victories that, you know, and so we're, we're all alike in that way. And so we get to verse 3. It says, Now Samuel had died, and we learned about this from chapter 25. Samuel, this patriarch, now he dies. And all Israel had lamented over him and buried him in Ramah, in his own city. And Saul put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. And uh, remember, Samuel was a, a great leader. He was a great governor, if you will, over not only David, but also Saul. Saul looked at, at Samuel as a father figure, certainly as a man uh, that he could look up to. And it's always good to have a man or a woman that has been walking with the Lord for some time that you can confide in, that you can go to. Um, it's always good to be discipled by somebody and also be in the place of discipling as well. You know, to be a discipler and also to be being discipled by somebody older in the Lord than you are. And, um, and so Samuel was really that for Saul and for David. And David, you know, Samuel was one of the few confidants that David had. And now that Samuel had passed away, all of a sudden it created this vacuum in David's life and in Saul's life. Saul no longer had a governor over him, someone to kind of look over his shoulder and say, are you doing the right thing, Saul? Because that's kind of the feeling that um, I believe Samuel's uh, influence over Saul had. But now he doesn't have that governor in his life anymore. And David doesn't have one he can run to anymore. And he's even more frightened as a result of that. There's nobody in his life. And sometimes the Lord allows these things in our life to, to isolate us. You know, when all of our earthly supports are gone, and it has to happen at some point in your life, if you're going to walk with the Lord and you're going to grow and mature, 
you're going to be in that place where all of your worldly, and I'm not saying worldly necessarily in a bad way, but all of your earthly supports are going to fail you. And I believe the Lord does that, obviously, by design. Because when we trust in anybody other than the Lord, we're trusting in an imperfect human being. And although they may bring relief, although they may even help at times, God wants us to go to him first. Him first. Because we, put, we can put people on a pedestal. We have a tendency to do that. And it's a wrong thing to do. We, put our, we have false hope in them. And you also put them in a place of an unfair, an, an unfair place. Because nobody wants to be you know, in that place of where you're idolizing them in a sense. And that happens, doesn't it? Especially in America. <laughs> we do that. We look up to pastors or you know, famous guys on the radio or television or whatever, and it's easy for us to do that. But we have to remember they are men and women, and we are no different than they are. We have to worship God and nobody else, right? Let him be the first one that you go to, no, nobody else. And oftentimes when this governor in our life, like Samuel was to Saul and to, especially to Saul, you know, when that governor passes from the scene, it creates this void. And then this is the real test of the character of the man or woman, because then we're no longer under the thumb of an authority figure in our life. And this could be even a parent. Maybe you have a father who has been kind of your, um, the one guys that you look up to, and then when your father dies, all of a sudden, you're the man of the house now. You're the man of the family. And now you, the real test is on. Am I going to uphold those things that my father um, did in his life, especially if they're good things, if, I, if he's been a faithful father? Am I going to uphold those good and right things, or am I going to feel like a kid who just got out of school early? <laughs> or uh, someone who's get, getting, getting away with something, and now dad's not going to be looking over my shoulder all the time. I can do whatever I want now, and he can't say anything about it, right? And we have that. Isn't that true about our human nature? I know what it's true about mine, and I'm, you're probably no different than me. And so we have that within us. So there was no governor. And, and you know, uh, he was in complete rebellion, Saul, at this time, on a very quick descent to destruction. And again, the exhortation is to us, you know, to be sharing with our, with our kids, with our grandkids. Samuel was doing that to those. He had a school of prophets. He was pouring into these young men so that the work would continue to go on. But what happens when that work doesn't continue to go on? Then there grows a generation that grows up that doesn't know the Lord. And that's exactly what happened in the book of Judges. Uh, let me read to you. You might want to write down the reference, but it's in Judges chapter 2, and it's one of the scariest portions of Scripture in all the Bible, I believe. It's in Judges 2, uh, verse 7. It says, and this is going back to when Joshua was the leader after Moses had died. But notice what it, what it says. So the people served the Lord. They served God all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. But notice what happens. And, and we go down to the bottom, but, but at verse 10 it says, When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, in other words, when they had passed from the scene, when they had died, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the works which he had done for Israel. And why is that? Because the fathers, the grandfathers, the, the, the mothers even, they weren't sharing with their kids and their grandkids. They weren't rehearsing in their ears the great things that God had done for them. 
And they certainly weren't sharing the word of God with them. So what then do you have? You have a, a new crop of children growing up who have no foundation. They have no foundation. They haven't been taught. They haven't been, hasn't been rehearsed in their ears. Honey, you remember the, you know, and you tell your kids about the wonderful works that God has done in your life. You know, what, what, what has God done in your life? Share those with your kids. Share them with other kids. Even if they're not your kids, share the good things that God has done in your life. And by all means, share the word of God with them. Find some young person. Say, you know what, I want you to read this chapter. And next week when we get together, I'm going to have a couple questions for you. Or maybe you can write a few questions for me. And let's sit down and chat about it, even for 15 minutes. Can we do that? And get them to be thinking. We have to become thinkers again. People today aren't thinkers. We're, we, we listen to sound bites. There's very few thinkers today. We have to, and I, and I need to, this is a challenge for me too. We need to be thinkers again because kids aren't thinking critically any longer. They're not taught critical thinking. We need to be thinking critically, but we need to share that truth with them so that when they grow up, what are they going to do? They're going to share that with their kids. See, that's how it all works. We can't just stop. We have to let the Word of God do the work in our lives. And I've said this before, but the, a map of Israel is such a wonderful, wonderful demonstration, illustration of a life of a Christian. You know, the, the snows from Mount Hermon are melting at very rapid rates all the time throughout the year. It comes down and it goes into the Sea of Galilee and it's fresh water. And the Sea of Galilee is teeming with life and fresh water. And that water goes down to the Jordan and then it gets landlocked in the Dead Sea. All right? You and I, based on this verse, we need to be like the Sea of Galilee. We're receiving from above. We're, we've got all of this information. We've got all of these good Bible teachings that we hear about. And then if we do something with that and we give it away, we put feet on our faith, we put it into action, then we become like the Sea of Galilee, teeming with life. But what happens when we receive from above, but there's no outlet? It just sets in our hearts. We don't do anything about it. We become stagnant and dead, hence the name, the Dead Sea. Nothing lives there. And that's so important for us. And that's what Samuel was. Samuel was one of those who gave out. He received from above and he gave out. Samuel was that way. Saul was not like that. Saul refused. He, he, he grabbed the spout where the blessings were coming in and he just quenched it. He quenched it. And so notice at the end of verse 3 there, it says, Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. In doing this, Saul was doing the right thing. He was following the Mosaic law. Because what does the Mosaic law tell us? The law of Moses. What does it tell us concerning a medium or a spiritist? In Exodus 22.18, it says, You shall not permit a sorceress to live. A sorceress is someone who is... Practicing witchcraft, uh, someone who is um, involved in, in, in magic, you know, casting spells, sorcery, this kind of person was, to be, was not permitted to live because they would draw the Israelites into idolatry and Jesus and God knew that that was the wrong direction. In Leviticus 19.31, it says, Give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them. Do not be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Again, a medium is somebody who conjures up spirits. 
A medium is somebody who is a soothsayer or a necromancer. It's all kind of synonymous. Um, a medium is somebody who acts as a liaison, if you will, to supposedly contact or communicate with the dead on behalf of the living. But really, mediums are nothing more. They're contacting demons, and hence the name familiar spirits. They're familiar demons to the medium. And the demon is lying to them, saying that, you know, bring up for me Aunt, you know, Aunt Bethilda. <laughs> and the familiar spirit who's familiar to the medium, the medium knows this spirit. But the, the, the spirit is lying to the medium, deceiving even the medium, telling, I know, you know, I'm so-and-so, I'm Aunt Bethilda. And the devil, he knows the past very well. He studies every one of you, all of us. He knows the past. He doesn't know the future any more than we do. He knows the word of God like we do. He knows what's coming, but he doesn't know how specifically unless God allows him to know. So, but he's got a very good memory, a very good memory of our past. And he can, you know, he knows about Aunt Mathilda. He knew what made her tick. He knew what she wore, the kind of things she liked. He knew the cat that used to rest on her lap, that white Persian cat that she loved to pet every Sunday or, you know, by the windowsill. He knows that very well. And so the medium brings up this devil, a medium, this familiar spirit. And the familiar spirit lies, claiming to be Aunt Bethilda when it's nothing more than a demon who studied the life and therefore deceives the person. And can you imagine when people do this kind of thing, they, they hear in, you know, intimate details about her life that the person couldn't possibly have known. So it had to be, a, it's either Aunt Bethilda, her spirit, or it's a demon who has studied her. It's a demon. And that's why we will see in a few moments why this lady, this witch at Endor that Saul is going to associate with, why she's so frightened because all of a sudden the familiar spirit that's coming up is not the same spirit she's used to. And we'll look at that. But in Leviticus, it says, A man or a woman, this is Leviticus twenty twenty seven, a man who is a, a man or a woman who is a medium or has a familiar spirit shall surely be put to death. They shall stone them with stones, their blood shall be upon them. Even in Deuteronomy chapter eighteen. It says, these are not to be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. These are an abomination to the Lord. That's what he says. Even astrologers. When we think of an astrologist or an astrologer, they are, it's not a good thing. These are folks who put together horoscopes and read palms and these kinds of people. Not to be confused with astronomy, the study of the star. That's a worthy goal. The heavens declare the glory of God. Many astronomers have studied the heavens and came to faith as a result of it, realizing this was no mistake. And look at the order. <laughs> the more you study it, the more you realize there's an order. It's not just chaos out there. Right? So astronomy is all fine and well, but when you start communicating with spirits to talk about you because of the, the date you were born, I mean, really? Isn't that kind of general? Doesn't that kind of add up? And sometimes they're going to be right on the money, but most of the time it's just a rolling the dice, but people buy into it, right? So I'd encourage you not to dabble into that kind of nonsense.
I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.